0: The talks on Monday night are not really something that you have to remember very much of. Um, no quiz, no exam or anything. They are more than anything a reminder um, of something that you already know. So if they touch that, which, which is awaken in you in, in some way that's helpful, great. And if they don't seem right, that's also fine, just let it go. Yeah. Last week, for those who came, we talked some about um, the Bodhisattva and the whole imagination from ancient times in India of the spirit of uh, s- serving with one's life, serving oneself and all beings. Um, and this week, as a reminder, I'd like to talk about aliveness and liberation. Um, here we are, we've sat in meditation, and to me, it's really quite a beautiful and remarkable thing in such a busy culture to have, you know, some hundreds of people sit and not do anything for a while and listen. Um, and in some way, of course, the obvious purpose of sitting quietly is just to let go of the tension and the complexity and the busyness and the stress that we carry and come back to ourselves, um, which is all a, a beautiful function of mindfulness and attention, loving kindness. But of course it goes, it goes much deeper than that. My teacher Ajahn Chah, I remember at one point somebody came to him in Thailand and asked, isn't meditation kind of like self-hypnosis and he thought for a moment, he said, actually, it's more like dehypnosis. We're in a kind of cultural trance of busyness and complexity and and so forth. And when we begin to meditate, we come back to see things in a new way with a beginner's mind, with a kind of freshness, um, and to see them more deeply. Now, um, one of the teachers I studied with in India well, years ago was a guru in Bombay named Nisargadat Maharaj, a, a fabulous teacher, kind of um, very colorful um, Advaita Vedanta teacher. And he used to look at us and he'd say, you're all running around so much caught in everything and you take it all to be so real. He said, and for me it, it feels like a, you know, a great theater piece but I'm absolutely still in the middle of it all. And somebody said, but you're an old man, you know, and it might be easier for you. And he said, no, no, it's always been that way. And, Well, are you afraid to die? He said, why should I be afraid to die? You think that, uh, that I am this food body, this body made of rice and dal and, you know, Indian vegetables and, you know, things. He said, then we're, not, we're not made of food. That's not who we are. We just use this body. And he would go on. He would say, uh, wisdom says I am nothing and love says I am everything. And these are the two poles of my life. So he didn't really talk about incarnation and things very much, but one time somebody asked him to tell a story about it anyway. And so he said um, in the Ramayana, which is this great Indian epic in which um, Ram, who is one of the incarnations of God, um, uh, has to um, rescue Sita, his wife, from this. Demon Ravana, who has stolen taken her, and um, in the course of this great great Indian epic, um, uh, Hanuman, who is also one of the incarnations, if you will, of the divine servant, um, helps Ram to rescue Sita. Um, Hanuman and all the other monkeys of India. This is a great story. But anyway, so he says at the end of all the Ramayana, all the animals who had helped Ram or God to to uh, win back the divine feminine really it's just a way of speaking of Sita were given rewards and the monkeys were all told that they could go to a monkey heaven now what is heaven to a monkey vast quantities of food lots of fighting and limitless sex so all the monkeys were reborn as human beings in the west in the 20th century <laughs> to experience their idea of heaven. <laughs> After some time, though, they all began to get a bit bored by this, ex- this excess, and one by one they started to wend their way back to India to find their way back to Ram or to God. <laughs> so that was his, that was his story. <laughs> oh, nobly born, begin the Buddhist texts. Remember who you really are. Remember your true nature. Yes, we quiet the mind and open the heart um, and work in in meditation. Meditation works to release us from the small sense of self, the body of fear. But it takes us deeper. Um, I've been working on a a new little book called Buddhist Instructions for Hard Times. Um, And uh, if I take the texts of the teachings of the buddhas these are these are a couple of hard passages um the where the buddha says um did you never see in the world a man or woman 80 90 100 years old frail crooked as a gable roof infirm youth long since fled and did the thought never come to you you too are subject to decay did you never see someone who is sick and ill and grievously afflicted and cared for by others and did the thought never come to you you too are subject to disease did you never see the corpse of a person and man or woman who has died and did the thought never really penetrate your heart this too you too are subject to death suppose a man or a woman who was not blind beheld the many bubbles that floated on the Ganges and watched them carefully and examined them And after carefully examining them, they would appear empty and unreal and insubstantial in exactly the same way does the meditator behold the bodily experiences, the changing feelings, the changing perceptions and thoughts and states of mind as they arise. And examining them, they too appear and disappear, vanish without leaving a trace. Empty, void, insubstantial. Is this not so? So these are pretty straightforward teachings. Um, And then there's, there's one that was even harder. I remember being in the monastery and reading a text on loving kindness. And the way that we tend to teach loving kindness in the West, and I certainly do here at Spirit Rock, focuses on the innate care that we have for one another as human beings that's wired in the mirror neurons and the innate compassion and and all kinds of compassionate stories. But this particular text has the Buddha teaching loving-kindness and someone who'd been in a, I guess, in a robbery or something and had come and was really upset. And the Buddha said, if you are truly a disciple of mine, even if the robber should grab you and cut off an arm, if you were to have hatred for them, instead of loving-kindness, you're not really practicing as I taught you. And even if they were to cut off the other arm and your legs and your limbs and so forth, if you had aversion that then turned into hatred of them, you would not be following the teachings of the Blessed One. So I read this text and I said, no way, basically. (laughs)